Maybe the life of a fighter sounds glamorous to you. The glory of showing off your strength and having your arm lifted high over your defeated foe in victory might, well, sound like something a lot of people could get used to, including the man in today's episode. But what if your inner strength doesn't match your outer? Let's dive in. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. Yes, and that includes sound effects. I'm Timothy Gregory, bringing you the story of a boxer who learned very quickly in life that he was all he had. He fought hard in the ring, but outside of it, he was ready to give up. Yet we'll see just who fought hard for him in today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Also, you'll want to stick around because later we're going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. No, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize that you are really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks. The classic true story of Johnny Catlin. That's enough of the light bag, Johnny. <sighs> I haven't finished my three minutes yet, Harry. Don't worry about it. I just heard from Canzanari's manager in Philly. Wait, Tony Canzanari? Three-time world champ, Canzanari? One and the same. Me and Canzanari? How is that possible? But Tony lost his midweight title, so I think maybe I can get you a match. Me and Canzanari, not bad. I just thought you'd like to know. Now, go back to work on the body bag. You gotta whip this kid in Akron next week. It'll make it easier to work out the match with Canzanari. Tony Canzanari, who once held three world championships simultaneously, was one of the all-time greats at boxing. The possibility of a match with him, even late in his career, was a glittering opportunity for a young boxer. But Johnny Catalan never made it. His fight in Akron proved to be a disaster, the last bout of his ring career. But out of that disaster, there came a new career and a completely new life. You'll learn all about that and of the stormy years that went before as we bring you the classic true story of Johnny Catlin, right now on Unshackled. I was born in Cayford, West Virginia, in a coal miner's shack. My father, Peter, had emigrated from Italy in 1901. In 1906, my mother Marie and my five-year-old brother Dominic followed. In 1908, I was born. With the birth of my following sibling, tragedy struck our home. My father and the doctor both became drunk on wine as they waited for the delivery. Why is the baby not crying? I was born in Cayford, West Virginia in a coal miner's shack. My father Peter had emigrated from Italy in 1901. In 1906, my mother Marie and my five-year-old brother Dominic followed. In 1908, I was born. With the birth of my following sibling, tragedy struck our home. My father and the doctor both became drunk on wine as they waited for the delivery. Why is the baby not crying? Just give it a minute. What's wrong? Sometimes you just gotta get the airways clear. Come on, cry! Oh, no! You dropped our baby? Uh, uh, I didn't mean to. You killed our baby! He was already dead! Here, maybe I just need you, Mary. Mary? 
Mary! Mary, wake up! This is all your fault. Help her! You gotta do something! I know you beat her when she was pregnant. I could tell. And now, with the injuries sustained, both your wife and baby are dead. I went from the joy of expecting a new sibling to the graveside of a double funeral. Our lives were uprooted, so my brother Dominic and I were taken to an orphanage in Charleston. I was adopted by a young Italian couple who separated and divorced within the year. I went with my adoptive mother to live with her parents, but it wasn't really home, which is exactly why I jumped given the next opportunity. Hey there, Johnny. I've come to take you home. Home? You mean it? Yeah. I remarried and my new wife has two small children. So, we'll be a family again? Yeah, we will. What Dad failed to mention was that this new woman was a faded, uneducated hill woman with a hatred for me so intense it bordered on insanity. I didn't even go to school as I was working like a slave for that woman. Johnny! Johnny, get them breakfast dishes washed up and be quick about it! Get to scrubbing, Johnny! I want to hear that washboard sing, and I mean it! Boy, you better carry up the water and get more wood chopped! Ain't you got that kitchen floor scrubbed yet? Lazy, good-for-nothing little brat! Uh! <laughs> you call that a beating? Wait till you feel what your pa gives you when I tell him you ain't done nothing all day! When my stepmother beat me, I used to hide under the house and console myself by building sandcastles. After all, I was only seven. After three years of that sort of thing, my stepmother struck my head so hard one day that I fell off the back porch. A few minutes later, when I picked myself up, a neighbor beckoned me to the fence. You okay, Johnny? Uh, just a bit dizzy. Yeah, I can't believe that woman. I, I better get back. If she sees me talking... Listen to me. You got to leave. Leave? And go where? Anywhere. If you don't, Johnny, they're gonna kill you. You're right. I'm afraid of that, too. So I walked away and never looked back. A man and woman who ran a boarding house took me in to work for my keep. My father and stepmother tried to get me to rejoin them when they moved to Princeton, but my stepmother ran me off. I drifted out to a swimming hole at the edge of town and struck up an acquaintance with a boy who invited me home. His mother let me stay with them, but a week later, she had bad news for me. Your dad was here today, Johnny, with a policeman. Policeman? He said when they find you, you're going to be put in a reform school. I ain't done nothing. We know, but is a judge going to believe you or your dad? Now you pay attention. I'm giving you this $10 bill. With that, you can get out of town. She held me on her lap and prayed, asking God to watch over me. Then I went to the railroad station, got on a train, and there in the coach was my dad. I turned and ran, jumped off the train, took an interurban electric car to Bluefield. From there, I worked my way to Charleston, and that began a new chapter in my life as I learned to live on the streets. Put in your coat, Mickey. 
It's too cold for that. You're right. My bones are chilled already. Well, we won't sleep in the alley tonight. We're not. You know that tall office building on 5th? Yeah. They got an unguarded maintenance door. We'll sneak in and sleep in the bathroom. That'll be nice. Warm as an oven. I can't wait. In the morning, we'll borrow a quart of milk off a porch, swipe a loaf of bread, and have us breakfast. How'd you learn so much? When you live like us alley boys, you gotta live by your wits. But how'd you get to be the leader? That was easy. I beat the fellow who was to a pulp, and his position opened up. You fight a lot? Eh, when I need to. Roaming alleys day and night, it wasn't uncommon for us boys to get into trouble with the police. Once it was because I whipped a boy a head taller than me. The judge let us go with a warning. On the way out of the courtroom, I was approached by a small man with a gray mustache. I didn't realize then how it would change the course of my life. Say, young man. Yeah? I saw that fight of yours. Yeah? So what? You know how to handle yourself, for sure. Some of us have to. How would you like to be a fighter? Mister, I don't know what you're talking about. We have the makings of a boxer, kid. Here, take my card. The boxing club? That's right. You have a free pass anytime you want to come down and train. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot, Mr. Uh, Mr. Wise. Who are you looking for, kid? Mr. Wise. He gave me his card and told me I could come by here and train. That's his card, all right. How old are you? Going on 11. Well, if Wise says you can train, that's that. Come on, I'll get you started. Mr. Wise began teaching me to box that very day. When he learned I was homeless, he granted permission for me to sleep on the club floor. In return, I cleaned. I would have made the club my home for a long time if I hadn't been caught stealing food off someone's back porch. The boy with me was caught, and he told the police where to find me. I took off running when I saw them coming for me. Mr. Wise! Mr. Wise! You gotta help me! What is it, Johnny? The, the cops! They're gonna be here any second! What did you do? I stole food! Well, there's only one thing to do. Turn yourself in. Turn myself in? I don't want to go to some reform school. Well, you're not 12 yet. Do you want to spend the rest of your life running away? No, sir. Then turn yourself in. It's the only real option. I did, and the judge gave me two years in the industrial school. Actually, life there was pretty good. With three meals a day, a place to sleep, a regular routine, it was more security than I'd ever known. A couple years later, when I was 14, I went to work in the coal mines. Once, when I had been out late the night before drinking and dancing, I reported to Bill Riley, the mine foreman, an hour late. Go on back home, John. You're late. Okay, Bill. I I'll be on time tomorrow for sure. Yeah, but wait a minute. Maybe I do have a job for you. Yeah, take a shovel and go to 7th left and clean track. 7th left? Yes. Wait. Oh, let's change that. You go to 7th right. I think it's in worse shape. Okay, Bill. Seventh right, I'll get on it. It took me about a half hour to reach seventh right. No one was nearby and I was very tired as a result of my night out. I blew out my light and lay down to take a nap. I lit my lamp and saw something I had never seen before. 
Dust was rising from the floor of the gallery and drifting slowly to the top. As I made my way toward the main entry, I noticed that some of the air current doors were off their hinges and sand was over everything. When I reached the boss's station, I found there was a great deal of excitement. Wait, here's John. Hey, how is it in 7th right, kid? I felt a big blast, but the top didn't come down. It did in 7th left. That's where the explosion was. Killed the guys in 7th left. Bill, that's where you started to send me this morning. Yeah. Good thing for you, I changed my mind. Folks, we'll get back to Johnny's story in just a moment. But first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 73rd year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org. Dot org, and then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, unshackled, we take checks. You mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, let's get back to Johnny's story. I'd been hoping to get out of the mines and go into the fight game, and I kept up some contacts in sports circles. That paid off when a fight manager came to our village and looked me up. Got about for you in Huntington if you want it, Johnny. Sure. When? That's eh, the problem. You got just two days to get in shape for it. <laughs> Maybe two days will be enough. I'll take it. All those two days were good for was giving me sore muscles. Luckily, my opponent was no boxer. He just kept his left pointing at my face and his right fully cocked. I boxed him for two rounds, but the crowd kept yelling for blood, so I finally waded in. When I did, I was knocked flat. That made me mad, and when I came up, I started street fighting him. No science, just trying to tear his head off. It confused him, and I was able to knock him from one ring post to the other. Because of the knockdown, all I got out of it was a draw. But from that time on, all I wanted to do was fight, so I did. Gotta start taping early today. Give me my ribs? Well, we'll start there. You fought the last seven rounds with Lou Bloom with a broken rib. Well, then there's the broken jaw, which I can't do much about. But your right thumb was torn out of the socket. That I can help. I'm a mess. Today, we got you sparring with a fast featherweight. Get you ready for the fight with Doyle. Whatever you say, Harry. I remember the featherweight landing one punch after one round, but that was it. The next thing I knew, I was standing in the shower. Nice workout, Johnny. Harry? Is that you? Never saw you look sharper, kid. 
Oh, if you say so. You okay? How'd we get down here in the locker room? We walked. After the first round? No, we did six today. <laughs> six? <laughs> I don't remember anything after the first. Are you serious? One round, and now I'm showering. In the second round of the Doyle fight, I took a hard left. The next thing I remember, it was between rounds, and I was sitting on the stool in my corner. Is the fight over, Harry? No, why? Well, they turned on the lights. The lights aren't on yet. What round is this? The sixth. Weird. Then where have I been the last four? Maybe you better smell these salts, kid. <coughs> have I been fighting well? You're doing fine. The rounds are even up to now. It's funny. I don't remember a thing. Blacking out like that never happened again, although I moved on to Pittsburgh, fought 12 times in eight-round semifinals, and won them all. Once I went back to Charleston to fight a Southpaw kid from Tennessee and knocked him out in the ninth. While I was there, I heard some surprising news about a local fight manager. I heard some interesting news about Charlie Bibb. You know, that one that handled Billy Williams? Yeah, I know him. Well, they say Charlie's gone and got himself religion. <laughs> religion? <laughs> I know. Well, if there was anybody that could use religion, I'd say it's Charlie Bibb. <laughs> Not long after, I was so sick at a fight that all I could do was raise my left hand and stick it in the guy's face. The kid should have knocked me out in the first round, but I stayed six just to get my pay. A doctor advised getting seen at the hospital. On my walk there, I passed a parked car downtown, and someone leaned out and hollered at me. Well, if it ain't Johnny Catlin. Charlie Bibb. You're looking a little ill here, Johnny. Oh, plenty sick. I'm on my way to the hospital. Well, get in. Oh, ah, uh, uh, thanks, Charlie. I heard the most interesting gossip about you the other day. Did you now? Word is you've gone and got religion? <laughs> well, I don't know if I got religion or not, but I do have the peace of God. The peace of God. I was lost and away from God all these years and didn't even know it. How can you say you were lost? I mean, living as a sinner without God. Oh, I see. Do you know that he loves you? Not a chance, Charlie. A good God couldn't love a dirty sinner like me. I thought the same thing about me, but now I know he does. How's that? Because he gave us his only begotten son, Christ Jesus. Well, my adopted family maybe go to church, so I know all about God, Jesus Christ, Holy Trinity, all that. Well, that's good. Yeah, I can't say it did much for me. Well, let's get you to the hospital. We can chat later. During the week in the hospital, I couldn't get Charlie out of my mind. There had never been any love lost between us, but as soon as I got out of the hospital, I went straight to his house. We talked, and he invited me for dinner the next day, which was Sunday, December 24th. Later, Charlie took me to visit City Gospel Mission, where I met the superintendent, Pat Withrow. Pat invited us to come to the big wooden tabernacle they had nearby for the afternoon service. I was reluctant to go and shrunk down in my seat, hoping nobody would recognize me. No one can tell me that he's beyond the reach of God's love. 
I once burned down my own house to try to get insurance money to buy whiskey. My family left me. My own brother would walk around me when he saw me lying in the gutter. Finally, I was on my way to the river, intending to drown myself. But I passed a little gospel mission, and the singing pulled me in. There I heard what God could do for a sinner like me, and I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He gave me a new life for all eternity. Isn't that such a testament to God's grace? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> as I sat there with tears running down my face, I was ashamed. Ashamed that people might think I was soft. Then right from up there on stage, Pat Withrow looked down at me and spoke. Johnny, I was your age when Christ saved me. Won't you let him come into your heart? Don't shake your head, Johnny. He's calling you. Jesus promises all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The altar is open for anyone wanting to come forward and receive Jesus as their Savior. When Pat gave the invitation to come to the altar, I went forward. Kneeling in the sawdust, talking to God, I was sure he'd see things my way. But in the quietness of my soul, God said, John, put all your excuses in a basket and give the basket to Jesus. And when I did, a peace came over my soul like I had never experienced before. I stood and looked at the 1,500 people filling the tabernacle. Johnny, how do you feel? Wonderful. <laughs> it's time for our meeting to go on the radio. Would you mind if I announce on air that you made the decision to receive Christ today? No, that'd be fine. Great. I started walking home from the mission, but only made it five blocks when a young man I had trained for boxing ran up to me. I didn't see it then, but it would lead me to finding a greater passion for my life. Hey, Johnny, what's this I hear about you becoming a Christian? It's true, Gene. I surrendered my life to the Lord this afternoon. What about your fight game, then? Are you going to keep on fighting? Well, that's something I'll have to pray about, I guess. Boy, does that sound funny coming from you. Gene, I'm going back to the tabernacle tonight. How about you come with me? Thanks, Johnny. I'd like to go. That night when the invitation was given, Gene left his seat and we walked down the aisle together. Seeing how God could use me to reach out to others filled me with purpose and granted me a sense of belonging I hadn't experienced prior. I called Harry from the tabernacle and asked him to stop negotiating for the match with Canzanieri. My boxing career was over, and a new life was beginning for me at the mission. Johnny Catalan was born in a coal miner's shack, spent his boyhood in the streets and alleys, and made his way in the world with his fists. He was altogether lacking in education and polish, but with God, all things are possible. Against seemingly impossible odds, and with Ruth, his wife, at his side, he served as an evangelist and as a pastor in many fields. 
At the age of 52, he earned a degree in education, became a public school teacher, minister, and youth worker. Most of all, he was a man who loves to bear witness to the grace and power of God. Listening friend, Johnny wasn't beyond the love of God, and neither are you. If you desire a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please call 1-888-NEED-HIM. Or you can get in touch with us here at Pacific Garden Mission, 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast and Don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, the new prize for this sweepstakes contest is yet another beautiful wooden scripture plaque. The verse... On this one is Lamentations 5.21. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. This plaque is, well, beautiful. The deep brown bark complements the light brown rings where this plaque is written. It's also carved into almost the shape of a heart. If you'd like a peek at this scripture plaque, you're welcome to visit our podcast website, unshackledpodcast.org and stop by the audio drama page for a picture. Unfortunately, we are only able to mail this plaque to locations within the United States, so our drawing is limited to U.S. addresses. But if you reside in the U.S., all you have to do to enter our sweepstakes drawing is call 312-281-1264 or email podcast at unshackled.org and give us your name, phone number, and email. That's your name, your phone number, and email. The deadline to enter the drawing will be June 3rd, and we will announce the winner on June 19th. We look forward to hearing from you. And next time... Chong, you must always remember the Bible verses I have taught you. Promise me, you will always guard them in your heart. I will. I promise. Pastor Chang was raised in a Christian home, but decades of communist rule in China tried to silence his faith. Lord, protect us. Stay here. Imagine what it would be like to be imprisoned for your faith, to be tortured and threatened with execution almost every day. Uh Poor, miserable Chang. Why do you make yourself suffer like this? Renounce your religion. Don't miss this powerful story of how God protected him through years of betrayal and harsh imprisonment. Renounce your faith or die. To live is Christ. To die is gain. This exciting true story coming soon on Unshackled. Heard in the classic true story of Johnny Catalan were Kurt Navig, Natalie Berg, Dave Kappas, Tom Geich, Demetrius Troy, and Marcy Mencotti. 
Original music, Don Bador. Sound effects, Demetrius Troy. Sound assistant, Holly Krajewski. Recording engineer, David Pierczynski. Audio engineer, Michael Kahn. Script, Jack O'Dell and Kylie Hamm. That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ. <laughs>